Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 128, A Turkey Hunter's Struggles. And I am your host, who happens to be going through similar struggles right now, as I am in what I'm going to call a mid-season lull. It has been two weeks since I have sat down on a gobbling turkey. Now, the difference between this year's mid-season lull and last year's mid-season lull is that at least I'm hearing turkeys gobble this year. But just like that old saying... The grass is always greener on the other side. I like to twist that around a little bit and say the turkeys always gobble better on the neighbor's property because that's what I'm up against. Saturday morning, I think I heard six different turkeys gobble and none of those six were on my property. It's a little frustrating, but at least I'm hearing turkeys gobble compared to last year when I wasn't hearing turkeys gobble. That stinks. So I'm hoping that soon my mid-season lull will end as we are 25 days, 1 hour, 51 minutes, and 44 seconds away from the end of spring turkey season in Alabama. So I still have three tags to fill. I'm not worried about the numbers. I just like a good hunt. And over the past two weeks, I haven't had a hunt. But that too will end. I'm not worried about it. Hey, I've got a little different show for you guys today as I talk to Joe Casalco from New Mexico about his struggles chasing Miriam's turkeys there. But before I get you to our call, I want to read some reviews from you guys. So Lauber79 says, five stars, a great escape. This podcast is truly amazing. It seriously helps a guy that is obsessed with turkeys escape the depression of turkeys not being in season. The information is so extensive. Many, many, many thanks, Andy, for having the fortitude to keep producing the incredible episodes. You're great at what you do, and you and your work are a blessing to all of us turkey addicts. Lauber79, thank you so much for that. I really do appreciate those kind words. I also want to read one from FR27 Davis. He says, five stars, very good. Great podcast about turkey hunting, very informative, and can pick up tricks and ideas to make me a better turkey hunter. 
Thank you so much, FR27 Davis. MKB Burn says, five stars, feeds the passion. As a longtime hunter just getting into turkey hunting, I find this podcast to be very informative. I've been able to find topics that help answer some questions I have, as well as help explain some blunders I've experienced. A friend told me years ago not to start chasing gobblers because it would consume the mind. I think he was right. I know your friend was right there, MKB Burn. But embrace the addiction. That's all I can say to you. Oh, yeah. And thanks for leaving the review. I greatly appreciate that. So thank you guys so much for taking time to leave a review about the show. I appreciate that more than you will ever know. Okay, so this time of year, I tend to get more emails and questions from you guys who listen to the show about turkey hunting and turkeys than I do at any other time of the year. And of course, that makes a lot of sense, being that turkey season has started for a lot of us or is coming in in our area very soon. Most of the time when I get those questions via email, I will answer those questions via email. Sometimes, though, it's just darn near impossible to answer via email. So I'll actually call the person who sent me the question to chat with them. Well, I actually received an email this past week that I knew was going to be too difficult to respond to via email. So I knew I had to call. But before I called, I thought that it might be a good idea to record this call for an episode of the show. I knew that if this listener was having this struggle and had these questions for me, then he couldn't be the only one to have this struggle and these questions. I know that to be a fact because I have experienced these same struggles myself. So I got permission from Joe Casalco, who emailed me with the questions and the struggles to record our call and play it for you guys. So here is Joe Casalco from the great state of New Mexico. And before I get you into the interview, Joe's cell coverage was not the greatest. But from what I understand, that's one of the joys of living in New Mexico. So here's Joe to tell us about his struggles where he hunts. Hey, everybody. I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me Joe Casalco. And Joe is a fan of the show and a listener of the show. And he sent me an email a few days ago that really kind of raised an eyebrow. And so I'm going to read that email real quick, even though I've got Joe on the line. I feel like the email is worth having a conversation about to see if we can maybe get him pointed in the right direction and give some tips and hopefully help him tag a bird in New Mexico, which is where he is. So let me read through this email that I got from Joe, and then we'll get going with this thing. Good afternoon, Andy. I wanted to mention to you that I really enjoy your podcast and can't wait to try some of the different tactics mentioned on it this season. Recently, I've listened back on some new and old episodes attempting to get ready for the April 15th opener in New Mexico. On one of the episodes, you were planning your 2017 hunt, and I believe you ended up going with Arizona and Utah, which we did, by the way, which means New Mexico is still on your list. I wasn't sure if I remember correctly from that episode, but it sounded like your group was only aware of the draw turkey hunts in New Mexico, and there are special permit hunts, but the large portion of the state has thousands of public land over-the-counter hunts as well. He says, 
Joe says, I also have sent in nominating Miriam's turkey hunting in the mountains as a subject for your show before. And I, Joe, I have that one written down. I'm looking for the right guest to cover that topic. Joe says, listening to the show, it seemed like this subspecies is supposed to be plentiful and easy to hunt. I have lived in New Mexico for four years now, and I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I've hunted three spring seasons here and one fall season. I did get lucky this past fall season, but I have had trouble with these birds in spring. It's as though the Merriams here look and travel like Merriams, but act like Easterns. That's no fun. <laughs> They're all. There also aren't many birds out here from what it seems, even though it looks like we had good poult survival this year. I literally live in the national forest that I hunt in, so I get to see and interact with these birds a bit. Even my dad came down to hunt with me last year with over 30 years of turkey hunting experience, and we couldn't get a single bird between us in the three days he was here. So I guess in short, I was seeing what tips you would have for turkeys like this, since they are some of the most difficult animals that I've hunted. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to hearing back from you, Joe Casalco. So, Joe, that's the intro that I have. That does not sound like it's a lot of fun to experience. Before we dig into it, how are you and in what part of New Mexico are you in? I'm doing great. I'm in the Santa Fe National Forest of New Mexico, so that's uh, slightly central north. Okay. Pretty much closer to, like, Albuquerque and Santa Fe runs by. It's one of the closer places to go. Okay. All right. How far from the Colorado line are you? I don't know what way I go. I can get there in three and a half hours. Okay. And by the standards of being out west, that's pretty close. Yeah. By the standards of the east and the anything east of the Mississippi, by those standards, that's not very close. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot of driving. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned that you've had trouble with, with the Merriams where you are. I guess mm-hmm. I want to ask you, how long had had you been turkey hunting in Pennsylvania before moving out to New Mexico? Well, it wasn't really long. I mean, it was a few years, maybe four years, a couple morning hunts a season with my dad. And we didn't get as much interaction, really, so it has really been a lot of learning on my own. Um, I do get into birds out here. It's just trying to work them effectively, really. Yeah. Uh, and then you only get your few opportunities, and then... If you mess them up, then that's pretty much what you got. So right. you try to make those count is what I was getting at. That's why the, the low population of birds out here really makes it hard because when you finally get that one that might be trying to will or willing to gobble or maybe work with you a little bit, uh, if you play them wrong, that's it. So. Yeah, yeah. And you are hunting the National Forest, so you're hunting public land birds. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, okay, the birds that you're dealing with, are they hinned up? Most of the time? At the beginning of the season, yes. But it, it seems like uh, I've had times where, like, one of the questions I was going to ask is because uh, even throughout the season, a lot of times they gobble on the roost for 15 minutes and they don't respond to shot gobbling very well. And then they get off the roost after that 15 minutes of gobbling and that's it. Okay. And is that something you experience all season? Most of the season. Every now and then you get that one bird that he acts a little different, but for the most part, this has been the large majority of the birds that I've encountered, even in groups where you have uh, three to five birds, which is about the most I've ever experienced in terms of gobblers in a group. Okay. And in the winter, you mentioned that you had some success this winter or this fall. Are you seeing large flocks of birds? I've seen them on private. The flocks that I was dealing with when I was actually hunting was no more than about 12 birds. Okay. Okay. So 
You don't, I mean, you mentioned in your email that the population is not just huge, but you don't have concerns about the population at all in the um, national forest. I mean, you're, you're, you're able to hear birds and get out and, and get on birds. Yeah, here and there, it just depends where they move to is really the issue. They they really change up as the season goes on. That's what makes it hard because you can you can stop for where they are early season, but it becomes difficult trying to figure out where they're traveling to as time goes on and they start to get some pressure. That's yeah, pretty much what I've been having problem with as well. So yeah, that was one of the questions I had for you is you know how much pressure do these birds get? Are they hunted pretty frequently? Yeah, I look at the harvest reports and all that. And this area that I hunt is the second hardest hunted area in the entire state. But the first one that has the most hunters is down in the Lincoln National Forest. So it definitely puts a damper on things a little bit. There's a New Mexico has a network of forest service roads and that kind of grids everything out here and there. So it's really hard to even if you you can catch some areas you can get off the road a little bit if you're willing to walk. But for the most part access is pretty good, so it gives a lot of people access. You're pretty much running into other hunters a good bit and especially on the weekends it makes it difficult to try and isolate yourself to an area where you've got a bird that hasn't been called to by someone else yeah and the weekends are primarily when you're hunting because of work no i get out in the mornings every time i can it's just a, you know i depend on where i want to go it could be up to half an hour but yeah uh, okay that's good i'm glad you're getting out a good bit as much as my legs can handle so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you're from Pennsylvania originally. What's What was the terrain like in Pennsylvania where you lived? Oh, uh, yeah, by the Appalachians I was at. So okay, all right. Kind of used to that. Yeah, all right. And your dad's been turkey hunting for 30 years. It came out there last spring, and you guys didn't have any luck, and it was pretty much the same issue. You were you were hearing birds on the roost. They'd fly down, and then nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... You know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that you are dealing with pressured birds, and that that may not be a earth-shaking or earth-shattering statement to hear since you're there and, and you, you know what you're experiencing. But I think that probably is driving a lot of why you're not hearing a lot of gobbling on the ground. And, you know, with the population being the way it is, I'm going to guess that you probably are not dealing with a whole bunch of hens late in the season, like maybe some areas that have a large population where there's a lot of hens to go around and a lot of hens that have to be bred and eventually go to nest. But what has the the past couple of years, what has the weather been like throughout the season? Has it been... uh, cold and have you gotten some snow during the latter part of the season for the past couple of years uh you know the the first year i went out where i didn't really know what i was doing the best gobbling i had and it was real nice and warm and then last year we had a lot of snow even into like halfway through may um opening or not opening the second day i was basically turned into a snowman sitting at the base of the tree Mm. so yeah it does do that yeah and what is the predator population like? Where you you know, coyotes uh, really aren't that sick out here. We've got outlines here and there, but you don't really see them. Bobcats are around, but they kind of seem like they run territories, so I don't yeah. really ever see them. Okay. And then uh, black bears are needles and haystacks out here as well. Okay. All right. So 
one one thing that kind of comes to mind is that you may be dealing with is something that no one can control is believe it or not if you if there have been good hatches in the forest over the past couple of years that can actually make the hunting more difficult because what you end up having is you'll have gobblers who are hanging around with jennies all day every day of the season because the jennies are not real i guess keyed in don't know what to do with this whole nesting thing and so a lot of times they'll have nests because they don't really know where to to build a nest and lay eggs a lot of times they'll have nests that'll get destroyed a lot. Well, the a Jenny's nests are more likely to get destroyed by a predator or nest predator than, say, a, a three-year-old hen or a four-year-old hen who's been there, done that. And so if you've got a lot of Jenny's in the area, they may not, number one, they may not be nesting. And number two, they may be trying to nest, but having those nests destroyed, which means that they're going back and, and they feel the need to breed and hang out with the gobblers. And so if they've got hens with them, they're not gobbling. The other part of that is if you're getting these snows later in the year, later in the season, when the hens are trying to sit on the nest, that could be another reason why these nests are getting destroyed and the hens are going back to the gobblers at that point. And we all know if the gobblers have hens, there's really no reason for them to gobble, even though typically Merriam's like to gobble. And a lot of times they'll gobble even when they have 10 or 12 hens with them. So in in that case, if that's what you're experiencing, there's really not much you can do to overcome that other than trying to figure out their travel routes, trying to figure out what it is they're seeking out food-wise and where they're going, try to get there before they get there or cut them off from the from their roost on the way to, to that food source or whatever it is that they're in search of. From there, you know, it's just a matter of, of patience and, and maybe trying. You know, if you keep experiencing this and, and it is that they've got hens with them if, and that's why they're not really gobbling and not responding, one thing that you can try that's a little unorthodox, especially in the spring, is to bust that flock up. And I would recommend doing that in the afternoons or the evenings right after the birds fly up and try to separate that gobbler from his hens and give him the whole night to settle back down and think about how lonely he is throughout the night as well. And when he flies down, he should be gobbling a good bit to try to get some hens to come in to him. And that should make him easier to call at that point in time. Now, Again, that's a little bit unorthodox. It's something that we don't do a whole lot in the spring, but it's a common, as you know, a common practice in the fall to bust a flock and try to call them back in. And typically in the fall, you're doing it on the same day. I think by breaking it up and, and trying to bust that flock up in the afternoon, it gives that turkey a, a lot more opportunity to calm down and, and be responsive to calling the next morning. So that's something that you may want to try in addition to getting out and, and, you know, figuring out their travel routes. What you said in your email, you know, I think is spot on about Merriam's traveling so much, and that does make it difficult. It's not like you're in Pennsylvania or Alabama and you are hunting a flock of turkeys that's going to stay within a thousand acre area pretty much the whole season. 
yes, they're going to move around a little bit depending on the where the hens are going to nest later in the season and that type of thing. But you, the turkeys are not going to travel. Easterns are not going to not typically going to travel three or four or eight miles like a Merriam's will. The Merriam's won't even think about doing that. I mean, it is just second nature to them. So figuring out those travel routes, figuring out where they're going, figuring out those where those food sources are located is a little bit more difficult, I feel like, with a Merriam's turkey. But you do want to pay attention, too, to that snow melt. And as that snow melt moves up the mountains, typically you can locate those Merriam's pretty close to that snow melt. And that may be something you already knew, and that's where you've been finding them, but that's what they're doing. As all that grass and stuff greens up, they're they're following that right behind the snow melt. So I don't know if that might help you being able to locate them or what, but the other thing that you're dealing with, and, and it's something we're 100% sure of, and that is you're dealing with pressured birds. And if the road network is real good and you're trying to get to an area that doesn't have a lot of pressure, sometimes that can be very difficult. And, you know, we even have public land areas in Alabama that have pretty good road networks throughout them, and you have a hard time getting a mile away from a road. So finding birds that are not pressured can be difficult. So in dealing with pressured birds, my advice would be slow down and call less frequently. Don't call quite as loud and be patient with those birds because they're going to take their sweet time coming in. I've I've hunted Merriams on public land and private land and the private land. They just absolutely would run over you to get to you. You'd almost have to shoot them in self-defense. The public land that we hunted, the birds were a lot more cautious and much more wary and not quite as responsive as to calls as they were on the private land, which is what what you would expect. I mean, that's all in survival. If they're getting a lot of pressure, whether it's from humans or from other predators, they're going to be much more cautious. So, you know, that's that's nothing earth shattering either. But I think a lot of times, especially those of us who grew up hunting Easterns or have been hunting Easterns for years, we think and we hear and we read, so we believe that all Merriams are easy to hunt, and they're still turkeys. They're going to do whatever they have to do to survive, and they're going to adapt over time. And as they get pressured, they're going to be quiet and not as responsive. When you were in Pennsylvania, did you hunt private land or public land? Uh, mainly private. Okay. All right. So the majority of your turkey hunting experience on public land is in New Mexico. Is that correct? Is that safe to say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so those public land birds, whether they are Easterns or they're Merriams, unless you can get to an area that doesn't get much pressure, you're going to have to be much more cautious in how you approach those birds in regards to your calling. And the other thing that I would do, and, and you will have the ability to do that there, Assuming, of course, you can either spot some birds or you can get some birds located by gobbling, which you're saying is, is hard to do. 
use the terrain to your advantage and figure out what direction those birds are working. Get in front of them, call quietly, and make it easy for them to come to you and see if that doesn't help some. So in the years that you've been hunting there, you mentioned that you've had more difficulty locating birds later in the season. Have you been able to actually find any birds, and have they had hens with them later in the season? Yeah, mainly I have located birds under both conditions at the end of the season. I've had a one gobbler that didn't seem to want anything to do with my calling, and he seemed like he was by himself, but I wasn't entirely sure because the biggest issue I have is some of the areas I hunt aren't necessarily fields, and then I've not really seen the birds that not come in, so if they want nothing to do with me, just go the other way. And then I've had up to three gobblers late season, you know, last weekend, and they're gobbling good, and then they just quiet down and they head it out. So it seems to me like they have hens with them, but I'm not sure because I didn't necessarily see the group or yeah. hear any hen calling. So Okay. All right. Are you using decoys at all? Here and there, yeah. Usually try to use a decoy, and I try to use that way where you offset them to the side so they're not looking directly at you. Right. But, uh, it's, I just really started researching all this the past year here because I want to have the best success possible. So I may have been setting up my decoys wrong. What I actually did with that group that one morning is I, I went back and I sat at the base of a ponderosa I thought that they were uh, roosting in. I set my decoys, and sure enough, once it started to get darker out, the I saw or heard some you know, leaves moving around, and I saw this bird, and he was going back and forth, weaving through this little ravine really quick. He came out, I went back, and I range-finded it later about 25 yards uh, using the putt alarm. I was like, oh, great. And I discovered later that even though I wasn't really calling too close to the time, I had two upright hens that didn't look very relaxed, and they were also straight in front of me. Yeah. So that could have, might have done it too. <laughs> right. Yeah. And how open is the understory there? I'm, I'm assuming it's like most of the other western states and pretty open. Yeah, it depends where you go. There are some narrow canyons and ravines and little pockets of forest, but you can get to some areas that have a big open canyon with a wide field that has a pretty good uh, amount of trees on the ridges. Okay. All right. And then in your decoy setup, are you using primarily hens? Okay. All right. Yeah, you hit on it. I'm a big fan, if you're going to use decoys, of using the either feeding decoy or breeder decoy. The upright hens, and there are a lot of people that have a lot of success with them. I'm just not a big fan of them personally because I think it gives that turkey, I think it gives that gobbler, when he comes in, the impression that something's not right. Those hens are standing straight up and they're looking at something. And so I'm with you there. I, I'm just, I would much rather use a feeder or a breeder decoy than I would an upright. The, have you tried a Jake decoy at all? Uh, here and there. Actually, what's it called? My, my second season out opening day, I did use a setup with two hens and a Jake. And it's a funny story because uh, they did the same thing they usually do and they quiet down when they get off the roost. And then I fell asleep and well i was hearing the birds and squirrels and then i started hearing this purring sound and i woke up and there was a turkey in front of me and well i'll cut to the chase and just say i missed him three times but uh 
that's, I guess, another thing, too, I've learned from your show is make sure you uh, pattern your shotgun. So. Yes, and yeah, that is huge. You're talking to someone who misses turkeys every year who knows exactly where his gun shoots and knows exactly how many pellets it puts in a 10-inch circle at 40 yards, but still misses. And, you know, I hope I get the opportunity to miss another one sometime in the future. So you will never hear me judge you for missing a turkey. I think those who have not missed a turkey just have not hunted turkeys enough or have not shot at turkeys enough. So that is... That's something that I would try a little bit more often is try that Jake decoy and see if that doesn't get some uh, a little bit more response because you'd be challenging those long beards. And, you know, if they get into an area where they see a Jake with a hen, they're going to be more likely to come into that setup, in my opinion, than two upright hens. You know, I, I think that that is, I, I like a Jake decoy in a setup, and anytime you can challenge that that bird's dominance, even if it's a, a subdominant two-year-old bird, when he sees that's a Jake, you know, I, I don't think it's going to scare him off. Now, one other thing that I was going to mention to you is that I had Will Primos mention to me in an interview that I did with him that has not aired, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But he mentioned to me that when he hears a turkey gobble, the first thing that he does after he hears that turkey gobble is he will kiki, and he'll do a kiki run in an effort to get a hen to respond to him to find out if there are any hens or if there is a hen with that gobbler. That may be something you want to try and just see if that would help maybe key you in into whether or not you're dealing with hind up birds. So that's something that I'm kind of tinkering around with a little bit this year. I have not had a lot of response to the Kiki, but I'm not saying it doesn't work. If it works for Will Primos, and Will's not going to be the guy to pull your leg about something, especially when it comes to turkey hunting, then it's bound to work. I would try that out. The reason the interview with Will Primos didn't air is because my recording software cut off about 30 minutes into the interview. He and I talked for almost an hour and a half, and I didn't get enough of it to make to even make a show out of. In fact, I use two recording softwares. I have one that's my primary, and then I have a backup. My backup failed first, and then my primary failed after that, and I never knew the primary failed. So we didn't get the interview to air with Will Primos, but hopefully I can get him back on sometime in the not-too-distant future to cover that topic. But I thought that was a pretty good little tip there that I could definitely see it working. It makes sense that that would work to get that hen that's with that long beard to respond to your kiki so you know that you're dealing with a hand up gobbler at that point in time. So that may be something that you want to try and just tinker around with a little bit. In the fall, do your birds, do you hear them doing a lot of kikis? You know, they're uh, actually way more silent in the fall. I mean, the only thing I ever heard from them was a flock I walked up on over a hill. I didn't even know they were there. So I heard all of them throwing the alarm putt at me and 
trying to run up a hill. So I, I've tried throwing it at them, and they didn't run away because I did it, you know, maybe 100 yards before I ran into them. So they seem to understand what the call means, which is good because I'm scaring them away with my calling. But uh, yeah. they seem very quiet. So Okay. All right. That's interesting. So w- were you able to bust that flock in the fall that you ran into? Or well, did they all go in the right the, direction? I mean, all the same direction. Uh, um, well, I ran into two. And uh, the first one, I did run at them trying to shout and such. And I got one to go across the canyon and another one in a tree. I tried to spook him by throwing rocks around the tree. And he kind of flew another he or she, I don't really know, but uh, flew like 100 yards down into the same ridge side as the other side. I think I got a really bad bust on them. But the, the second flock uh, was pure luck because I had a little hen walk out in front of me about 15 yards, and I was just I was pretty much on it with my reaction time, and that's all the more walking she did. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you get lucky like that out here every now and then, too, because they are so silent that uh, I've walked up on – uh, gobblers trying to come in silence me a number of times, well, two or three, and I didn't even know that they were coming in because they were not gobbling or really doing anything. Yeah. When you sit down to, whether it's on a decoy setup or you sit down to a bird that has gobbled on the roost and has flown down, I know your schedule and work has a lot to do with it, but typically how long will you hang in there with them? I try to hang in there. I, I think early in the season, they start gobbling, you know, around like 545, 6, and I'll try to hang out in there for about an hour until like 7, 7, 15. Okay. All right. Yeah. Years ago, I had a, a rule for myself that actually was, it, it worked pretty well for me, and that was when I would sit down, whether it was just a blind setup on some decoys or you know, just a blind calling setup, whatever it happened to be, or I even sat down on a, a gobbling bird. I would sit there for one hour before I would go anywhere. That's even, I'd sit there for an hour before I would even get up and try to get around a bird to go, you know, if he's walking the other direction. So, you know, it could be that on that public land there, because those birds are getting pressured so much that you just need to give them a little bit more time because they are so cautious coming in. You know, when you sit down in a spot, give them a, a good hour, hour and 15, hour and a half before you get up and, and decide to move, and, and that might help you. Yeah, it just sounds to me so much like you're just dealing with pressured birds and that that primarily is what you're up against. I'd be interested, though, in talking to you after this coming season and finding out if you've been able to determine if these birds have hens with them later in the year. When I went and hunted this past season with Corey New and Jim Levin with the turkeyologist, and I hunted in Georgia, and they obviously had had a couple of good years of hatches in the area in Georgia where I was hunting with them. And this was late in the season that I experienced this, but the gobblers had hens with them all day long and it was at a time in the season when you would expect at least for the gobblers to be by themselves in the afternoons from mid-morning late morning on through the rest of the day and you would expect that the hens would wander off and go lay an egg and feed around a little bit and then go back to the area where they were all roosting and fly up and do the same routine the next morning fly down 
hang out with a gobbler, breed, and then wander off and go do her thing again. But that was not happening. They were hanging out. The hens were with the gobblers all day long. And it wasn't until I actually got home and was talking to Trent Masterson, telling him about my hunt in Georgia, and he said, well, you know what you're probably dealing with is a bunch of jennies, and they don't know what to do. They don't know that they're supposed to be building a nest. They don't know that they're supposed to be laying an egg, or they have done all of that, and the nest have been destroyed because they built a nest right out in the wide open, you know, around five feet out into a field instead of five feet into the woods. So, you know, that could be what you're experiencing, but it sound, I just I just think that you know what you're dealing with, which is you're dealing with hind-up birds, and that that's why they're acting a lot like Easterns. Okay, stop. I'm adding this in after my conversation with Joe. What I meant to say there is that he knows what he's dealing with, that he is dealing with pressured birds, not hind-up birds. So forgive my verbal slip there. And so with that being said, you're just going to have to slow down, call quieter, call less often. And I think a decoy setup would probably help you. If you find that the decoys are starting to spook some birds, if you can get them coming in, then it's possible that those birds have seen a thousand decoys already in the season and that your decoys are scaring them. But you know, it doesn't really sound like that to me. I think that, you know, out west where it's open, more open than it is east of the Mississippi, I think a decoy helps a great deal. Or even using the terrain to your advantage to calling a bird so that that bird's actually got to hunt for you instead of using a decoy where the bird can see the decoy from a distance. You know, you can use put a, a hill between you and the turkey and use the terrain to your advantage so that that turkey's got to get 40 or 50 yards, 30 yards from you before the turkey can realize that there's no hen there. So I don't know if this has helped you any at all, if you've gotten any advice that you think might be able to, to help you harvest a bird, but I'm really thinking that you're dealing with some, some pressured gobblers from what it sounds like you're telling me. Yeah, the Jenny advice definitely helps. Too. I definitely think of a bit of extra bits of information I might not have pieced together on my own. I mean, every little bit helps, you know. You're the Will Primo's Kiki. I'm, I'm at a point where I'm trying to add every little bit of information so that if something happens, even though it's a wild turkey, like you say, and sometimes what they do doesn't make sense, sometimes maybe I can make sense of what's happening and try to make the correct move to seal the deal. Pretty much what I'm looking for. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why we keep going after them. You know, if it was so easy that we killed one every time we went, we wouldn't go as much. It wouldn't be nearly as much fun. So, you know, that whole chess match and trying to figure them out is what makes it so much fun and, and why we continue to go out there. But again, going out every single day and not having any success, going out every single day and not hearing a lot of gobbling or hearing very many turkeys gobble at all, that starts to get frustrating. We need some wins in order to be able to endure some losses. And, you know, we're going to get a lot more of those losses than we are wins, and that's the way we really want it. But we've got to have those wins in there every now and again, and every little tip that you can pick up is going to do nothing but help you, and I think it'll it'll help you make a few get a few more wins along the way. So I don't know that there is a secret recipe 
to going out there where you hunt and having success any time and every time that you want. If you're not hearing a lot of birds gobble, it does get frustrating to, to go out there and cover so much ground and not have very much success. I would tell you, especially early in the season when those gobblers have hens with them, and you know that they've got hens with them, try to get in there as tight as you can using the terrain to your advantage. Try to figure out where it is that those hens want to go and get between them where they're roosted and where they want to go and get in tight in there with them and see if you can't fill a tag right off the bat. Now, you get, in New Mexico, you get one bird per season, is that right? Two. Okay. I couldn't remember. So we looked at uh, we looked at going to all four states that comprise the four corners, and I couldn't remember which how many birds you were allowed in New Mexico. So two birds. I'm sure you'd feel a lot better having one of those tags filled right off the bat in early season and get in there snug on them. Use the terrain as much as you can. And, you know, the other thing, too, is try to get as many gobblers located as you can before your season starts so you have roughly 10 more days before season starts not this Saturday but next Saturday so somewhere around there okay and how much time are you going to have to get out and scout between now and opening day I might be able to get out this weekend as well because I have about a four-day weekend here and then I have maybe an evening or two next week to get out to check out what they're doing okay have you noticed that your birds roost in pretty well the same spots early in the season you know they, they kind of just start moving in there so they're they're starting to get situated it seems because i'll check it and they won't be there about a week or two before and then all of a sudden they're there even a few days before the season and then the, the longest i really noticed that a bird was roosting in an area was about a week but then i had a bird with my dad when we were hunting that I don't know if we bumped it because we didn't necessarily hunt it that that morning. We kind of stumbled across the block when we were walking. Mm -hmm. So we went back, and the second morning we hunted that bird, he decided he wanted to roost another one or 200 yards uh, north. So it it almost didn't make sense. They kind of just go wherever they want. Not sure what the rhyme or reason is. Right. Yeah. Okay. The birds in Pennsylvania that you hunted, did they pretty well roost in the same spots throughout the season? Yeah, they were pretty good about that. Yeah, yeah. When I first started turkey hunting, the hunting club that I'm in, you knew maybe not the exact tree, but within about 10 trees of where a gobbler was going to roost. And he would roost in that spot every single day of the season. Now, because the habitat has changed so much, the turkeys move around so much, and we don't get quite that same effect. They'll roost in an area one day they'll be a quarter or a half mile away the next day a quarter or a half mile away the next day and then right back in in the same spot that they're in on day one so it does make it more difficult but i would definitely get out and and scout as much as you can just to try to locate as many gobblers as you can prior to season start and then you know if you can in the afternoons, if you can get a bird to gobble before season starts, drop a pin on a map where he's roosting, and don't worry about him the next morning. Go find another one the next morning. Drop a pin where you are hearing those, and then you want to go back and check on them. 
make sure they're still in the area, obviously, a day or two before season. But just try to get as many of them marked on the map as you can. And then from that point, if they don't gobble, if you know they're still in that area because there's fresh sign, then you've got your spots to hunt, even though they're not gobbling. And so you can slip in there, put your decoys up and do some calling. And, you know, deer hunting turkeys is not what most of us like to do, but sometimes it's just what you have to do. And especially if they're, if you're hunting pressured birds, sometimes you have to do that. So, man, I wish you much luck. Thanks. I really appreciate all the advice. It's an honor to be on the show. I'm trying to take it all in. I'll probably have to go back and listen to this recording again as well. So. But, uh, well, try and... oh, yeah, go ahead. yeah I, I was just going to say, I, I hope that you got something out of it. You know, those dealing with pressure birds is not fun, but it, I mean, it does nothing but make you a better turkey hunter. And so when you get to that point to where you've gotten these birds figured out and you're consistently having success, those are all things that you'll have in your turkey hunting Bible to take with you wherever you go and, and, decide to chase birds from there so you know what i found by turkey hunting the spot that i turkey hunt in southwest alabama where i basically learned to turkey hunt is that i'm hunting some of the toughest birds in the country and so if i can kill birds there i feel like i can kill turkeys anywhere and having that confidence a lot of times is all we need as well so you know don't get discouraged stay after them and just enjoy it you know, and when I say slow down, I'm, I mean, slow down and enjoy it as well. You know, take your time getting from point A to point B and keep your ears open and keep your eyes open. Move slowly and use the terrain to your advantage as you're moving from spot to spot as well. You know, and peek up over those hills and use your binoculars to glass up in front of you and, and over those hills and as much as you can. And I think just by really by hunting them, even if it's spot and stalk, I think you're going to have a lot more success in just really hunting out there than, you know, what you have been in the past. And it may be something you've been doing all along, but, you know, I think uh, I think that'll help you locate more birds and I, I think that'll help you kill more birds as well. So, yeah, I, I definitely hope this has been worthwhile for you, and I want to check back in with you after after your season is over as well. When does it end? Uh, May 10th. Okay, so I fully expect to see a picture or two, hopefully, with you and some dead birds. We're going to try. And I really want to hear a success story, hopefully, too, since you have two tags once the season's over as well. So if I can help you out during the season, don't hesitate to give me a buzz. You know, I'm not going to claim to know everything there is to know about Miriam's turkeys, but a turkey is a turkey for the most part. There are some differences, and as you well know now that you're experiencing it, but I'm more than happy to help you in any way that I can. I really appreciate it. I, like I said, I picked up a lot, and that's really why I'm going to have to go back and listen to this again just to get my game plan together. So Yeah, good deal. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate that. It's, I always enjoy talking to you guys who are listening to the show, and you know, I, I really am interested in helping you guys have success. That's what it's all about. If I can't help you do that, there's no reason for you to listen to the show, and so it means a lot for me to have you come on the show and share your 
frustrations with us and knowing that those are frustrations that we all have experienced and or we all will experience. And so what you're going through is, is I would bet you similar to what 25% of the people listening to the show are either going through currently or will go through this season. And so it's good to talk it out and, you know, hopefully throw some ideas or hints or suggestions out there that might be able to help. And I'm glad to help with that. So if you have questions, buzz me and I'll be happy to talk to you and see what I can do to help you out some. And if I don't have the answers, I bet I know some people who do. All right. Good deal. Joe, have a great night. Again, good luck to you. Be safe out there when season starts, and I look forward to talking to you again very soon. Will do. I'll keep in touch, and thank you again, Andy. You're welcome. Have a great night. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. Okay. I feel pretty certain that Joe's struggles are something that most of us turkey hunters have experienced at one point in time or another. If his problem is Jenny's, then really that's a good problem to have because we can assume there should be plenty of two-year-old gobblers running around there this season. If Joe's problem is not caused by Jenny's and it's gobblers being henned up all season long because hens' nests are getting destroyed due to weather and or predators, then that's not a good situation because he's competing for that gobbler's attention with wild turkey hens that, as we all know, and Joe, this is no insult towards you whatsoever, but we all know that those wild turkey hens are much better looking to that gobbler than Joe is. And, in addition to that, having nests destroyed by weather and or predators is obviously not a good sign for hatches for the past few years either. You know, after listening to the call again, I really am still leaning towards hunting pressure affecting the birds where he is hunting and not having good hatches the past couple of years and the population being down. He's not seeing large numbers of turkeys on the land that he's hunting. And Joe, one thing that I failed to mention while you and I were talking is that you may want to try more afternoon hunting. You know, in the afternoons, the woods are generally not as crowded. And when you do locate a gobbling bird, chances are real good that that gobbling bird will be receptive to your calls. One other thing that has come to mind as well is that you may want to start marking on a map where you see turkeys on private land. Then take that map to the courthouse and have someone in the tax assessor's office help you look up the name and address of the landowner. Now, there are smartphone apps that can do the same thing for you. The good ones charge a small annual fee for their service, but it would definitely be worth it if you're able to identify a parcel and get permission to hunt it. Now, after you do identify the name and address of the owner, dress in your street clothes and go to visit them with your hat in your hand, of course. Also, with an offer to help mend fences, bell hay, tend cows, or even as a last resort, pay some sort of a trespass fee if they'll give you permission to turkey hunt their property. Assure them how respectful of their land that you will be and that you will not get off of their roads in your vehicle, that you will not leave any gates open or litter or treat their land any different than you would treat your own land. You may also want to remind them how nice it is to have another set of eyes looking out for their cows or their fences or their gates or just their land in general. Stress to them 
that you won't be there and gone if they give you permission. And that if they ever need another pair of hands, you're just a phone call away. Be prepared to offer them references about your character and even a liability insurance policy to protect them in case something ever happened to you while you were on their land hunting. And if you don't know where to find information about that, you can check out Outdoor Underwriters. They offer landowners liability coverage against claims by people who they let hunt on their property. So many ranchers in that area get bombarded with requests to deer and elk hunt their properties, but not many of them get bombarded by request for turkey hunting their property. You may be surprised at what you get access to. Worst case, you spent a little gas money and time and got to meet some new people. Remember, they will not kill you and eat you. And after all, I think that's probably the worst thing that would happen if you went and asked them permission to hunt their property. Now, I'm not telling you to give up on that public land. But what I'm saying to you is, if the population is down, and it kind of sounds like it is, then you need to increase your odds by finding other places to hunt. And why not try to find some private land to do that on? All right, Joe, I hope that that helped you. The rest of you guys listening to the show, I hope that that helped you as well. If you find that you're running out of places to hunt that have turkeys on them, remember I told you about my mid-season lull, then you just have to work harder to find more places to hunt. And personally, that's what I'll be doing for the remainder of this season and for the remainder of the year so that I don't have a shortage of places to hunt that have turkeys on them for next season. It is a constant challenge that we have to stay on top of. All right, so that is all that I have for you guys this week. But you know I'm going to ask you for a favor. My one favor is this. If you learned something from today's episode, then please click the share button on your podcast player. Most podcast players have a share button in the upper right-hand part of the app. Click that share button on your podcast player and text the link to this week's episode to one of your hunting buddies. It's easy to do. It's free. Standard data and text message rates may apply. Please check with your local carrier. And it is greatly appreciated by yours truly. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. And if you're turkey hunting, please be careful. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.